And so started the conversation, and I said, what about using here? And anyway, got off the phone and um, called the, or texted the elders, and within about 15 minutes, um, we had full approval for the function to go on yesterday, and it was just amazing to watch, um, to see people working together from multiple churches around the area. Um, a CEF missionary was here, and she shared the gospel. There were um, uh, one of the deacons from over at Sagemont Baptist was here, and um, anyway, it was just exciting seeing people from different places, um, people who not all even knew each other, working together to win the loss. So, Mrs. Cepeda, would you give us um, a synopsis of what happened yesterday? Uh, so, we had um, 90 te uh, teens um, uh, from ages like 14 to 17, most of them um, we had not seen. Some that seen uh, that come before that were disappointed that Mateo wasn't here, but the Holy Spirit <coughs> was here, <laughs> bringing know. conviction of sin. And uh, there were um, 63 teens that we know that that uh, raised their hand and, and for salvation. And uh, one of and one uh, of the workers that came with them. And uh, one uh, teen, um, he, uh, um, he asked uh, God to forgive him. He repented of homosexuality, which is a sin. And he uh, accepted Christ as his Savior. So praise the Lord. And there was another Amen. teen that also he was, um, he said that um, he was, uh, did bullying continually to the other kids. And he was an alcoholic. And he also repented and trusted in the Lord. And as I was going table by table, asking them who um, wanted to, uh, I mean, what they learned from the lesson. And, um, I, and I had books to give, but I didn't have enough 90, so I had to pick a few. And so there was one that said, um, and go, what did you learn today? And it was a little girl, Maria Ramirez, she said, um, I received Jesus in my heart, but she had such joy and peace, and she she could float. I mean, she was so beautiful. I wanted to hug her so bad. I can't we can't touch him, but praise the Lord for the opportunity, and I thank everybody for praying and for being here for the delicious for everybody working together. I had uh, some Oriental. Um, friends making quesadillas, and my friend from uh, from India, she also does CF um, with Andarlene, she came also, and she was also <laughs> making Mexican food, so cause it's a celebration of the Hispanic Day uh, in all the different uh, countries in Central America, it's 15th of September, so it was kind of, uh, but um, but we're celebrating and teaching them that we we can have a better citizenship in being a citizen of, of heaven and being a, a child of God. And that's what it was about. Thank you for your prayers. <laughs> Appreciate it. Amen. It was a really great day. It was, you know, we've talked about, you know, if we ever had to put the facility on lockdown, we were literally on lockdown. We all came in and we locked the gate. And um, there were security out there that had come from the outside and, um, We'd open the gate and let people in or let people out. And, but it was just an amazing day. And the Holy Spirit was um, meeting with us yesterday. Really exciting time um, to be here at North Belt. So praise the Lord for that. Appreciate the elders allowing um, that event to take place yesterday here. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. And 
I want you to open to the book of Philemon and put your finger there. And we're going to flip back to Colossians chapter 3, where we read earlier. We're just going to read a, a couple of verses. A subject that Jesus taught, you could say Jesus introduced the concept of forgiveness. And then Paul doctrinally expounds on it, gives very clear instructions about it in the epistles. Then the book of Philemon is, I would I like to call it a portrait of forgiveness. Philemon shows us how forgive, what forgiveness looks like in the body of Christ. But let's read here <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. And um, let's begin here at verse number 10. He said, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, (coughs) but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let me read that again. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity and for the instruction that it gives us on how to live our lives, how to meet with you, how to deal with others. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would make the truths of your word clear this morning, would bring conviction to our hearts where there may be unforgiveness or um, bitterness, or Lord, even unforgiveness that we're aware of that has set in and has just become part of our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to release any hurts that we have today toward others and receive them as you would have us receive them. Lord, I pray that you would just meet with us now and speak to our hearts through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want us to use our imagination a little bit here as we begin the message, and at the end, we'll use our imagination once again. But I want you to imagine it's the year, around the year 60 AD, 60 AD, it's been some 30 years or so since Jesus died on the cross, was crucified, and ascended back to the Father. We're in the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. Our congregation has just gotten word that we've received a letter from Paul. Well, that's exciting because at this point, all we have of the scriptures is Genesis to Malachi. And we, you know, there are some letters circulating and there are a couple of gospels in circulation now, but now we have more, another exciting writing and something that's written specifically to us addressing issues in our church. Can you imagine what it would be like if um, tomorrow morning, Miss Brittany got up and sent out a church email stating, Northville just received a letter from the Apostle Paul. We're calling a meeting tonight at six o'clock. I have a feeling 
that by about three o'clock, we would all be here gathered to hear this letter. Everybody wants a front row seat. They want to hear what Paul has written to us, especially since he's been dead for so long. We would be extra excited. But, um, But just imagine that excitement. I mean, everybody's not going home with their own copy of the Bible. So this is a big deal that you're getting this letter from Paul. Everyone shows up at their meeting house, which was actually at the home of Philemon, um, apparently a a fairly wealthy man, at least fairly wealthy. Um, We know he had at least one slave and um, had a house large enough that the church could meet at his home. So everybody gathers up at the home of Philemon, and it's time to read, and they, everyone listens as the reader reads what we now refer to as the epistle of Colossians or the epistle to the Colossians. It's the letter that was written by Paul. And as he goes through, he gives some very specific instructions. Of course, his typical introduction, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he calls on his apostleship as being the reason for his authority or the authority through which he speaks. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this means everybody listen. There, are, there is authority in the words he's saying. He gives them instruction. He talks about being risen in Christ. He talks about the things that believers should put off the sin that we need to remove from our lives. He talks about the things that we need to put on. He deals very specifically here as these verses we read with forgiveness and with forbearing one another, with putting up with one another. Do you ever have to put up with somebody? Um, I, I, there is often, I feel like my poor wife just often has to just put up with me. I'm like, there's no way she could feel giddy about me today. She just has to put up with me today. Um, it sounds like I'm alone there, but anyway, the rest of you men, if you looked in the mirror, you would feel that way too sometimes. And, um, but forbearing one another, forgiving one another. Anyway, he gives all this great teaching, all this great instruction. He gets to the end of what we now have marked as chapter three. Um, He addresses wives, how to deal with their husbands, husbands dealing with their wives, children with their fathers, fathers with their children, servants, how to respond to their masters, masters, how to treat their servants. And it's interesting, he did not um, demand that masters release their servants. Um, That would actually be a cruel thing in the Roman society of that day. Um, If you wanted to have a good paying job and have good job security, um, a servant in the right house would be a good thing because you might just be the one chosen to be sent to school, medical school, and you're the household doctor. Or um, there were so many professions that at the time, the way you got the training and the way you earned your salary was by being a servant. And um, they had learned from um, previous slave uprisings that if they treated their servants good, their servants would treat them good. And so um, by this point, um, Generally speaking, um, the situation could be good for a person as far as a living went, because if they were instantly released from their um, master's home, they would be homeless and they would have no income and they couldn't just go down to the um, government office and apply for unemployment. So this would have been a cruel thing to just suddenly let all your servants go so they they and their families could starve. So he tells them, this is how you treat them. So what 
Paul did in the New Testament was he changed the way a master would think. And he even took the trend of the day, which was to treat them well and says, no, treat them very well. And so he gives all of these instructions. He comes to the end. He ends pretty normal in his conclusion of the book. But they get through reading Colossians or their letter rather. And when they come to the end, they say, but there's one more. And there was a personal letter that day, a short letter, and that's where we get the epistle of Paul to Philemon. A very short letter, a sweet letter, an endearing letter, um, yet a comical letter. Paul does stick his um, comedic personality in some of the words of this epistle. But he has a very serious, a very heavy message. And he has a message that is going to illustrate the letter that he has sent to the church. And I want us to begin at the very beginning here and look at the beginning. Let's see how Paul does his greeting. Paul, an apostle, that's not what he says, is it? Isn't that interesting? If you read his other letters, read, there are three other personal letters in the New Testament. There is, um, or that Paul wrote that were addressed to individuals, there is first and second Timothy, and there is Titus. And how does he begin those? Paul, an apostle. He calls on his apostleship as his authority for writing to both Timothy and Titus. But when he's writing to Philemon, he addresses him differently. He says, Paul, a prisoner. He speaks, even though he's getting into his senior years, he speaks out of his weakness rather than out of his strength. He speaks as a servant rather than one with authority, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice it's not a prisoner of Rome. It's not a prisoner of the Jewish hate that was so great for Paul at this time. But he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I belong to him. And Timothy, our brother, Timothy was with him. Unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. So we have a personal letter here, but he's going to address some others in this personal letter. Look who else he acknowledges here, which makes us, leads us very strongly to believe this is a letter that is going to be read out loud, like the letter um, that had been just read to the church. And to our beloved Apphia, which is a feminine name. Uh, so we uh, would assume this is the wife of Philemon. And um, Archippus, our fellow soldier, may have been the son of Philemon, but he was definitely a minister in the church there, possibly the pastor. He's also addressed as a minister um, in the book of Colossians. Our fellow soldier and to the church in thy house. So as he addresses Philemon on this very personal matter, he right up front calls for accountability. I'm making all these people aware that I'm writing you. And so perhaps it's even read out loud in the company of the church. But he says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a very typical beginning as far as how Paul says those words, but, um, but he addresses himself or he addresses, yeah, speaks as a prisoner to Philemon. 
as we get into the body of the letter, there are three um, ways we, three sections of the letter, I should say. Number one, he applauds Paul uh, Philemon for some good things he's done. Secondly, he appeals to him to do something new. And then last, he gives affirmation. I believe you're going to do what I've instructed you to do. So let's look at the first one here. Paul applauds Philemon. He celebrates some things that he has heard about Philemon. Begin in verse four. I thank my God, making mention of the always in my prayers. That's a good way to address someone, especially when you're about to have to tell them something that's not gonna be real comfortable to tell them. I've been praying for you. I got one of those texts last night. Someone said, I've been praying for you all evening. You've been on my heart and I'm praying for you. It's always a good thing. I'm just glad they didn't have to give me a letter like Philemon was receiving after that. But I've been praying for you. Verse five, hearing of thy love. I've been hearing things about you. Hearing of thy love and faith. He said, love and faith. Those are the two things I've been hearing about you, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. That the communion of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing, which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation or comfort in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. He said, everything I hear about you, I'm just refreshed. I am encouraged when I hear about you. Let me ask you a question at this point. When people hear about you, are they encouraged? Are they refreshed? Did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear what so-and-so did? What follows that? Did you hear what so-and-so said about the pastor? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if they're right or not, but that's what they said. Uh, did you hear what so-and-so said about so-and-so? Did you hear what they did? Did you hear what I found in their car? Did you hear what I, and whatever, the list could go on. Um, of course, those are the things we shouldn't be spreading anyway, but it happens, right? But when your name is spoken of, is it the good things? Are people encouraged by your reputation? Paul applauds Philemon because he was a man who was an encourager, not even on purpose. He was doing what was right. And the, the, the spread of this news of what he was doing was an encouragement. So he applauds him. Then secondly, he appeals to him. In verse number eight, he says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee or to command thee that which is convenient, he says, I could command you to do what I'm about to tell you. Verse nine, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech you. Instead of command, I'm going to beg. Instead of command, I'm going to make an appeal to you. I could command you to do this. But he said, I'm not going to do that. Number one, he could command him because he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He could call on his apostleship and say, this is the truth. This is the right way. You need to do this. He could call on him as a friend. As a friend, I'm telling you, you need to do this. But he does not address him that way. He says, I'm not going to command you. For love's sake, because I love you, I'm going to appeal to you. Being such an one is Paul the aged. What is the basis of his appeal? 
and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's added something to the fact he's a prisoner. Now he speaks out of his age. He says, I'm older. And so I'm going to appeal, appeal to you as an older brother. You ever have a peer come up and just give you a real sharp criticism? It's kind of hard to swallow, right? Just like the first thing we do when a peer comes up and starts telling us something we did wrong or said wrong or something we need to change. Um, our hair, you know, we're like a cat. You know, the hair goes up on our back. Maybe y'all aren't. You're more spiritual than that. But I am. And I want to get defensive. But when an older brother shows up and says something, that is more, I'm more likely to listen. You know, when one of the really senior citizens, like, like Brother Schlechter, walks up to me. Poor Brother Schlichter, when I first came on staff here, he was the one that always had to give me the bad news about something we were trying to do. And I remember the first time he came and he had good news. He was grinning from ear to ear. He said, Aaron, I've got good news today. And I thought, what on earth? I couldn't even think of what we were talking about doing. And anyway, got to pick on Brother Schlichter every once in a while. But Brother Schlichter is older than me. And it's a lot easier. Brother Schlichter walks up and says, I don't know. Think about it from this perspective. Or, ah, I saw the way you were doing that. This would be, you know, if he comes up and says that, I'm more likely than, I mean, you know, if Gideon walks up and says, you shouldn't have talked to your wife that way. I, he may be right. But if Brother Schlichter says it, I'm more likely to hear him. Make sense? Because someone older than me has said it. Well, Paul uses this terminology. I'm speaking to you as an, as an older one. I'm speaking to you as Paul the aged. He was probably about 60 years old, actually, at this point, And now also a prisoner. He said, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. He says, first of all, remember I'm older than you. And remember I'm a prisoner. Now we need to talk about Onesimus. Now who is Onesimus? Onesimus is a slave that had belonged to Philemon. He was actually actually an escaped slave. He had made his way to Rome. That makes sense because if you live in a community like um, Colossae, you want to get to a big city like Rome so you can get lost in the crowd. But the thing is, Philemon may have gotten, uh, sorry, Onesimus may have gotten lost in the crowd from his master, but he was not lost in the crowd from God. God still saw him. God set things up for Onesimus. And while Paul is in prison, he actually meets Onesimus. And he says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He said, I have won him to Christ. He is a believer now. He, uh, he is in the way, as it was often referred to in the early church. They were in the way, the, in the way of Jesus Christ. I've begotten him in my bonds, which in time past was to the unprofitable. And here's one of Paul's kind of funny statements here, which in time past was to the unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. The reason why this is a funny thing Paul is saying, because the name Onesimus means profitable. And so he's kind of doing a wordplay here. He says, oh, in times past, profitable was unprofitable to you, but now profitable is profitable. Um, that's the kind of almost joke Paul is making here, yet he means it very seriously because he has become very profitable to Paul. 
In verse 12, he says, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I have, sorry, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. In other words, I wanted to keep him. He's been so beneficial. I could have kept him and just said, this is Philemon's contribution. You know, it's like somebody loses $1,000 around the church and Mr. Fessenden sees it laying there and says, you know, I'll just put it in the offering plate. We'll consider this a contribution to the church. If he knows whose it is, the right thing would be to return it and let them make the contribution if they want to. And that's what Paul is saying. I could have kept your slave because he's been very beneficial and I could have put it to your account, but that's not right. I'm sending him home. But without thy mind, would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. I want you, if you want to send him back, in other words, you could send him back like the kid making their Christmas list and they just make sure mom and dad keep hearing what it is. Um, Mike Huckabee, one of his children's books, um, he wrote, our, our family loves reading at Christmas. He would write out the word football on the refrigerator. You know, he'd I'd get out of the shower and in the steam of the mirror, he would write football because Christmas was coming and he wanted a football and he wanted his mother to get the message football. And so Paul is putting in that little message here, football. Um, you know, I, you could send me him for Christmas. He could be my president. He could help me in the ministry here. Hint, hint. Um, but he says, I want it to be of your own decision, your own choosing. Verse 15, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. So in this, Paul is acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Your servant ran away and it had apparently cost Philemon some great financial loss, whether he stole the money or just cost him great money, we don't know. But there was great loss involved with Onesimus leaving. And Paul said, although he went away, he said, all of this has been arranged. So now you can receive him forever. When a person tries to run, when a person tries to run from God, it may be the thing, though the mode and method of our running may be exactly what God uses to bring us to himself. I mean, think about Jonah. Jonah went and got in that well. The book of Jonah is so fun to look at if you see how many things it says God prepared. God prepared a storm. God prepared a great fish. God prepared a gourd. God prepared a worm. The whole story of Jonah is a setup. Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. And God's like, well, you don't have a choice. I, ha I have everything set up and everything you try to mess up my plan is not going to work. In fact, it's going to backfire on you. And it's just a really fun story to watch. All the events, all the circumstances that God brought about. And so Paul is acknowledging this. God has worked here. And now you're receiving him forever. In other words, he's now an eternal friend. He's no longer just a possession. And then he follows up with three ways he was to receive him. And this is really the heart of the message here. <clears throat> when someone has offended, when someone has harmed us, when someone <clears throat> has cost us something, when a brother in Christ or sister in Christ has, how do you receive them? Well, Paul gives very, three very specific ways 
he wants Philemon to receive Onesimus. In verse number 16, he says, not now as a servant. Don't receive him as you would receive a servant. He is not, well, he, he is still his slave. He said, but don't treat him like that. For uh, Sorry, verse 16. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Don't treat him like a slave anymore. Could you, um, back in the sound booth, could y'all forward the slide twice? Because this is not working. So he said, you receive him not as a servant. We've already, I've already mentioned how slaves would be treated and the Romans in general had learned to treat them better. But there was a story um, written by a historian from around this time period in which um, a woman who owned slaves was asked why she had crucified one of her servants. She, masters had full authority over their servants. They could execute them um, in any manner they wanted. She had crucified hers. <clears throat> and when asked, why did you crucify your servant? She said, because I felt like it. So there could be cruel masters and to run away from your master, to go and hide in Rome would be punishable, could be punishable by death. There were bounty hunters that went. In fact, there was a man by the name of Tychicus, which brought the letter to Colossae and to Philemon, and he was accompanying Onesimus. Why would that be necessary? There are bounty hunters. And if Onesimus is by himself, he could easily get caught, end up in trouble. And um, Paul is trying to avoid this. Tychicus is sent with the letters and with Onesimus. Also, Onesimus doesn't have the chance to chicken out on the way. He doesn't have the chance to chicken out from doing the right thing. And so Tychicus comes with him with the letters and he's told, don't treat him like a servant. He's hinting here consider not even punishing the man. Because in a minute, he's going to say, you could punish me instead. I'll, I'll pay the debt. I'll pay what he owes. But he says, don't treat him like a servant anymore. Treat him like a brother and not just a brother. Look what he says, a brother beloved. Treat him like a brother that you really love. He has hurt him. He has caused great loss to his household. Yet when he returns, he said, you treat him like a brother. When someone offends us, when someone costs us hurt, causes us hurt, costs us something, it can be real easy to treat them like they are below us. We, are, we can all easily be guilty of this. Someone offends us and suddenly we stick up our nose in the air and we treat them like they're subservient somehow or another. And you'll find that bitter people always treat others like they're their own little minions. A bitter person goes to a restaurant. They're not kind. They're not gracious to the waiters. Why? Because those waiters are their servants. They are their slaves. They will make a bitter person can sit in a restaurant and make up reasons to scold waitress. I've watched people. 
just make up things. And it's funny because that same waitress is really great at our table, serves us very well, but at the other table does nothing wrong. And you wonder, how did that poor person become a waitress? And then you realize they're a really good waitress when they're at our table. And then you start watching the other table and you realize they're making up things to be angry with. We can have this attitude when we become angry, when we become bitter. And he says, you do not treat him like a servant. Treat him like a brother beloved. Well, what happens when you see a brother beloved? What happens when you see a brother that you love so much? You get excited. You hug them, right? I mean, that's a typical greeting with brothers, at least to speak and smile at each other. If you're Italian, you'd kiss each other on the cheek. But he said, you receive him like a brother. Look at the second instruction here. Verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. So not only do I want you to treat him like a beloved brother, I want you to treat him like you would treat me. Receive him like myself. Well, what was Paul to Philemon? Paul was a friend. Paul was a mentor. Paul was someone that Philemon respected. He said, I want you to receive him like you would receive me. In other words, he's saying, I want you to receive him like a respected friend. This can be difficult when we think about people who have offended us, brothers in Christ who have wronged us in some way. Maybe great, maybe even small, but it just feels big. When I see them at church on Sunday, do I greet them like I greet a brother? Do I greet them like I would re- greet a respected friend? I think about people that I've become friends with over the years. Since being here, we've become friends with Brother Jerry Benjamin. When we see Brother Jerry Benjamin somewhere, it's always a hug immediately. There's always jokes right away. It's always exciting. He loves talking to my, my um, sister-in-law, Amy, and my wife, Laura, Last year, we were at Big Sandy, and we were trying to get ready for a, con- a concert that night, and he was just having so much fun visiting. When I walked by, he's like, you can't go yet. Five more minutes, and she'll get saved. Just five more minutes with your wife, and I'll have her saved. Um, <coughs> we've got to make this sound spiritual. Why? It's someone you love. It's someone you respect. It's somebody you want to spend time with, you want to be with. And he said, that's how, when he shows back at your house, I want you to receive him like he's your brother beloved, I want you to receive him like he's me. Receive him as a respected friend. You say, how on earth can this be? When someone has hurt us, when someone has wronged us, how can we have this attitude? And it doesn't even seem right sometimes when you're bitter or holding unforgiveness in your heart. It does not seem even right to do this. But if you flip back at Colossians, um, as Paul is giving the instruction about forgiveness, before he says this, what does he say? He says, put off some things. What are the things you got to get rid of? If you're going to be able to do this, for Philemon to actually put into practice what Paul is telling him, first he has to obey the letter that's been written to the church. And that is he's going to have to put off anger. He's got to quit being angry with Onesimus. He has to put away wrath. In Roman society, he could rightly and legally have wrath and pour it out on Onesimus. Malice, blasphemy. Um, What about um, verse 10? He has to put on a new man. 
And what is this new man? With this new man, he's going to have to recognize there is no difference in Christ. In the church, there's no difference between the bond and the free. In other words, Philemon has to have a different mindset than he has grown up with as a good Roman. That he is here and his servants are down here or down here somewhere, down here with animals as a possession. Because he said at the cross, they're the same. So Philemon's going to have to change his mindset and realize that there is no bond or free with Christ. There is no Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision. Why? Because Christ is all and in all. And then what's he going to have to put on? Verse 12, he's going to have to put on bowels of mercies, kindness. He's going to have to choose to be kind to Onesimus. Humbleness of mind, all of this for a proud Roman man is going to take humbleness of mind. Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any. And then Philemon reads his letter and he realizes, oh, I've got a quarrel against somebody. Paul's talking to me. You ever hear that sermon and you realize the preacher's talking to you? And you wonder how he knew what you had done. Well, this is hitting Philemon where it hurts. This is terrible if he's got the wrong attitude. But if he's trying to be like Christ, this is good because he knows exactly how to do it. Paul says, okay, Onesimus is coming home. When he gets there, you receive him like a brother beloved. Remembering he's an offender. Paul does not say if he apologizes. Treat him as a brother beloved. Paul does not say if he um, apologizes. Treat him as a respected friend. Treat him like myself. Paul says, treat him that way, period. If we've got hard hearts, Luke 17, 3 and 4 are going to be our favorite verses in the Bible. Let's look over there real quick. Luke 17. Luke 17 and verse 3, take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Hallelujah. And if he repent, forgive him. You know what? If my brother does not say sorry, I don't have to forgive him. Is that what Jesus is saying? Verse 4, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent thou shalt forgive him. Well, let me ask you a question. My whole life, I've heard, if you repent, you'll never do it again. If you've truly repented, your problem is, son, you haven't repented. That's why you keep sinning. So did God forgive me or did he not? Because I've sinned again. So did he save me? Did he forgive me? I, and now I'm confused. Isn't it interesting? He said, if he repent, forgive him. But then he says, and if he keeps, if he does it seven times in one day. So the question is, did he really, was he really repentant the first time he'd sinned against me and said, oh, I am so sorry. And then 10 minutes later, he does it again. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then 10 minutes later, he does it again. I'm so sorry. Uh, the really, really, really better person is going to say, he said to do it seven times. So on the eighth time, psst, it's over. And if it wasn't against the law, I would just do away with him. I mean, it's okay. Jesus said, you know, seven times. And that's it. Is that what Jesus was talking about? Keep reading in the gospels. 
Keep reading what Jesus said. Hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they have all repented as I hang here. Is that what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were not even aware of their offense toward God. Yet Jesus has such a heart of forgiveness, he is asking the Father to forgive them. If Jesus can pray this prayer on the cross, can you and I not do this for a brother who has wronged us? Paul does not say when he shows up and says, I'm sorry, forgive him. When he shows up and has a repentant heart, treat him like a brother. Treat him like you would treat me. He does not call for this. In fact, he calls for a third thing which to me changes the perspective of the whole story and makes it much easier to forgive. He comes to the next point and he says, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. If he owes you anything, put it to my account. I'll take care of it. He said, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will Repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Here's Paul's humor again. Paul says, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it. But I'm not going to mention how that (laughs) you owe me your very life. Now, what does he mean? It could have been Paul that had won him to Christ, and that's what he means by you owe me your life. It could be like the instance where we learned one day somebody got up and gave testimony that Laura had saved a young woman's life. Laura was quite surprised. She didn't know she had saved anybody's life. But the girl was in some very heavy demonic things, and um, she, was on, she was very, very close to um, killing herself. And she said the time she spent with Laura, Laura taking her to the scriptures, Laura praying with her, she said, she saved my life. She owes Laura a debt is how she saw it. So it may have been something, some way that Paul actually saved his life. And he says, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm not going to talk about how you owe me everything. I'm not going to mention that. So what's the first, the third thing he's calling for? He says, remember how much you owe. Now, when we apply this to ourselves and we ask the question, how can I receive someone that has offended me as a brother, especially if he hasn't figured it out and apologized yet? How do I receive someone as I would receive a respected friend? Well, we can do it by remembering how much we owe God. Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. And what did he demand for our salvation? To put our faith in him. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He said, come to me in faith. Come to me empty-handed. We don't come to God and receive salvation by paying our way into his good graces. We come to Jesus Christ in faith. Yes, there has to be a heart change. Yes, there has to be a difference. God will make that difference. God will make these changes in us. But we have to come the very first step is come realizing we are worthless. 
putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and he saves us. But as Jesus hung on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If Jesus can pray this way as he's on the cross, you and I can forgive offenses. Proverbs 17, verse 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Proverbs 19, 11, it is, a, it is a man's glory to pass over a transgression. You realize there are some things we can just let go. There are some things others do to us that we don't even have to go to someone. Someone asked me recently that some people had offended them. And this guy said, what do I do with this offense? They don't even know they offended me. And then I realized what he was about to do. Then I told, and I stopped him. I said, don't go to them and tell them you forgive them. And he looked at me very funny. I said, first of all, he did nothing wrong. Secondly, they didn't even realize they hurt your feelings. He's like, really? I said, yes, you before God forgive them. You will actually, and I don't even think I got the words on. He said, I'm going to create a problem by telling them I forget. Yes, let it go. If you really love them in Christ, just move on. And there are so many offenses in our lives where we can move on. As a husband and wife, when you keep hurting each other's feelings, there are times where you need to sit down and discuss it. This is what you're doing, and it's over and over, and I need, this is why I'm hurt. But there are so many things, and my wife has taught me this by example over the years. There are some things you just let go. And then I find out weeks later, I hurt her feelings. But she forgave me. She dealt with God and forgave me and said nothing. Why? I didn't sin against her. I was just an idiot. And she acknowledged that. And she has told me before, she said, I did not talk to you about it because you did nothing wrong. I was the one with the bad attitude. I was the one who was wrong. And yes, you hurt my feelings, but there was nothing to discuss. I had to discuss it with God. And there are so many things within the body of Christ that we can forgive, that we can let go of, but we have a tendency to have our list of things that are important to us and our list of ways that people hurt us and that people offend us. And all it does is show our immaturity as Christians. All it does is show how much we don't love the word of God, because if we love God's word, nothing is going to trip us up. Nothing will offend us. And so there are times that we can learn, as the Proverbs say, to pass over a transgression. This was a great transgression. But Paul tells Philemon, we can pass over this. He does not call for him to demand repentance. He does not call for him to demand an apology. He does not call for him to demand an explanation as to why he ran away. He says, you receive him as a brother beloved, receive him as a trusted or a respected friend. And he said, remember your debt. Remember how much you owe. So let's review this. Paul, number one, applauds Philemon for the good things he had done, his good reputation. Secondly, he appeals to him to make things right with Onesimus when he returns. And number three, he ends by affirming Philemon. And it's just one verse. Well, in verse 20, he, he ends the appeal by saying, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. In other words, let me find joy in the fact you're going to do this. And then he gives his affirmation. Having, read that word with me out loud. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee. Knowing that thou wilt 
also do more than I say. As I have dealt over and over with the death of my sister, and it has been numerous times over and over forgiving, not just my brother-in-law, but over the years having to forgive others who have said hurtful things, who have jumped to hurtful conclusions. Um, In fact, there was one situation after that, that there was a family who had caused great offense and it was very public. Everybody knew about it. And um, as I had dealt with it numerous times, one thing the Lord showed me, there would be this, I forgive them, but... I forgive them, but there needs to be an apology. I forgive them, but. Holy Spirit just smote my heart one night, and I believe it was while I was studying, reading Philemon, that I began to understand this. The Holy Spirit showed me one day, as long as you have a but, you haven't forgiven. I forgive them, but. And the Lord showed me one day that as long as I was waiting for an apology, I had not forgiven. But true forgiveness was there when I didn't need an apology anymore. And I could just move on. I could receive them as a beloved brother. I could receive them as a respected friend. I could remember how great of offense I owed toward God and be able to move on. Well, God had dealt with my heart about this on a couple of occasions. Laura and I had discussed it a lot. And one day we got the opportunity to put it into practice. Well, sometime in the last couple of years, Laura and I went to a church. Um, there was a function there that uh, it was a very somber occasion, actually. And as we arrived to the church fellowship hall, it began to rain. And so Laura and I and some friends kind of got pu- pushed, and all of our kids kind of pushed into the doorway of this church fellowship hall. But when we stepped into the fellowship hall, I looked up and realized that there were a bunch of people I knew from various churches that were all very, some of them involved and some of them knew about the offense. Uh, Well, pretty much all of them knew about the offense. And as I step in and we're crowded in this hall, I mean, all this is happening in a matter of seconds, but it still feels like it happened in slow motion. We get pushed into the door and I look and the parents that caused the offense and all of their kids are standing in the doorway. And as we get pushed into the doorway, they're right in front of us. And then I hear a very unsettling sound. I hear metal chairs screeching on the church fellowship hall floor. And I glance up very quickly and realize that everyone in the room has stopped talking and has turned their chairs. And they're all watching to see what the bakers and this family are going to do. I don't know if they're expecting a fight. I don't know what they're expecting but they're watching. Let's look here real quick before I give you the end of that story. What does Philemon, how does Philemon end here with his closing? His closing's interesting in the context of this. He said, but with all, prepare me also a lodging. I, I want to come and stay with you. I'm hoping to get out of here and come and see you. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. There are some other people that know about this letter, Philemon. There's Epaphras, there's Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He said, there are some others that know about this letter and they all say hi. You remember how he started the letter? Oh, dear Philemon and your wife and um, the, the pastor or the, one of the ministers in the church and the whole church, by the way, there's accountability on both ends. He said, the church, your wife, the minister, they're watching. And then at the end, he said, oh, all these other guys that are with me here in Rome, we're waiting to hear what you do. Funny thing is, God doesn't record it in, in his word. And that's where our imagination comes back into play at the end. I don't know. I imagine it happening something like this. He gets to the end of this. The Holy Spirit is convicting his heart. He's got all this accountability. The church is watching. He's waiting for Brother Philemon to stand, or Brother Onesimus to come in the room. Perhaps he's in the crowd. Whatever the case, all of a sudden here is Onesimus. The whole church is watching. What's going to happen? God had convicted our hearts and um, dealing with this family that had caused the offense. And um, for part of it for Laura and I was actually taking up an offense for somebody else and um, for my parents. And um, we're standing in this doorway, a matter of seconds, we have to choose. I was so glad I'd already dealt with God. God had already dealt with me. God had already said, when you see him, receive him like your best friend. Receive him like a trusted friend. Receive him Remembering how much you owe me. He doesn't owe you anything. And we get crammed into this doorway. And I look up and I see him. Oh, brother. And I called him by his first name and we hugged each other. I went over to his wife and she hugged. And then all of our kids are hugging all their kids. I mean, it's a big mess. There's a whole bunch of us in that doorway. And you could just feel the disappointment in the room. <laughs> by the ones who were waiting for the fight. You know, it was just like, all of a sudden, it was just like, oh, shoot. You know, we had heard there were rumors about some kind of like basically feud type stuff going on, which was all rumor. But anyway, there was no gunfight that day. And I don't tell that to brag on us because that was not me. My first feeling would be to get even. But when the Holy Spirit got through with me and when the book of Philemon got through with me, I had one conclusion. I had to let go of this offense. I had to pass over this transgression. And on the day it got tested so greatly, the church was watching. And I can only imagine as Brother Onesimus stands up and comes down the aisle, Brother Philemon taking him into his arms, showing him the love of Christ, and instead of calling him slave Onesimus, he calls him brother Onesimus. Because that is the change that will happen in a proud Roman's heart when the Holy Spirit deals with us. And we have every head bowed, every eye closed. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is brought to your heart and to your mind an offense. Someone who has hurt you, they may not even be aware of it. Maybe it's not great bitterness you're holding in your heart, but it is a hurt. It is unforgiveness. Can I just challenge you now to confess that to the Lord? Deal with the Lord right now. I just, I encourage you to use the altar this morning. And if not to come forward, if you're able to just kneel at your chair there, 
there must be healing, there must be forgiveness. And let go of the but. I forgive them, but. And simply say with Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, I just thank you so much for this message in Philemon. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have tender hearts. Lord, we're so grateful that you died on the cross to pay for our sins. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember today how much we owe you. And Lord, a brother, a sister, a friend who has offended us, Lord, that we would be willing to forgive, to let go of the offense, that we would accept the pain that's been caused to us and then be able to receive them as you would have us receive them. Lord, I just pray that you would work in our hearts. And Lord, that there would be a true spirit of revival in our midst. Lord, as we follow your example. In Christ's name we pray.